When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. Off air, we were just chatting. I said, obviously, I know the guy doesn't know him, but Vladimir Zelensky, very busy right now. Uh, the, the headlines that I have seen, because I made this video, have just been less influential in his uh, interactions with world leaders. He's still obviously receiving a tremendous amount of support, but Germany won't turn off the gas and the oil from Russia. Long story short, because it would negatively impact Germany's economy. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, certainly, if Germany cared equally for Ukrainian citizens and Germany German citizens, they would one hundred. They'd be like, "Oh, we'll take the economic hit." But people, nations are self interested, and I don't know what's going on in the duration of their conversations. But the headlines are from Zelensky, very critical of the people who aren't doing as much to help him. Mm-hmm. And as I was just reading these headlines and he might be doing better behind the scenes, I, I just know that that's not influential. That's not effective. And I'm not faulting the guy because he's got a lot on his plate right now. But I was just like, is Tony Robbins' team reaching out to him to be like, yo, dude, I know how. <laughs> I, I, I can't promise anything, but if you give me 30 minutes, I can help you speak to these people in a way that makes them care because sad as it is, uh, nations don't enter into wars or hurt their economies for other, for, for moral principles. <laughs> they just don't. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was, that was my only thought is that I'm, and we were also talking about like, uh, Ben Simmons, who has been a chronic problem for the Sixers and now is on the nets and hasn't played and who knows if he's actually hurt that these teams don't bring in mental health coaches or at least not the best ones to help their head case diva players play better is just surprising to me how how disparate the world of Tony Robbins is even though he's got half a billion dollars from these NBA teams. Yeah, I think that they I think it's starting. I mean, so for instance, Tony Robbins did work with the San Antonio Spurs for a little bit like 20 years ago, right? With, with Dennis Rodman and, yes. Dave, and David Robinson. I don't know if it was 20 Yeah, I guess 20 years ago. Yeah, dude. <laughs> it's a long time. And a friend of ours is actually the, the mental health or performance coach or assistant coach or whatever for the Clippers. So Still? They was. Yeah, he moved. So now okay. he's not. But so there are teams are bringing in people to try to figure out how do we... We've got all this money that we spend on helping players not get injured. How do we get them to feel clutch or not collapse (laughs) after a bad shooting slump in the first half. So they're trying it, but I just think that they're, they don't have faith that it matters that much. I think the proof's not in the pudding. You know, the Seahawks were all about that and they won a championship and it's like, oh, this is the wave of the future is the NFL is going to take this stuff seriously. And then 
you know, they passed it when they should have run. They didn't win. <laughs> they haven't been to a Super Bowl since, I don't think. And so... They had two or three good years, right? Two or three, like, excellent years. Yeah, and then kind of yeah. fell off, which is what all NFL teams do. So from the outside, it doesn't look... Like, at the time, they're like, oh, this is why we're good. It's because we have this edge that other teams don't have. But now it doesn't look like that's the case. They don't seem consistently superior to other NFL teams that aren't prioritizing meditation. Phil Jackson was all about it. I mean, he's one of the greatest coaches ever for basketball, and he was all about, he would sage the room and have everyone meditate together. <laughs> Is that true? Yeah. Oh, yeah, he was deep, deep into woo-woo. Well, I'm not even saying meditation, like mind clearing. That's nice. I'm talking performance coaching. Tony Robbins makes you, I mean, if you've seen his things, if our, if our audience hasn't, when he does his interventions, he is incredibly good at reorienting people to make different things matter to them. Mm-hmm. So I imagine if he had Ben Simmons for a couple hours, it might take, he could get him angry and hungry to prove the doubters wrong, such that he was highly motivated to win, as mm-hmm. opposed to like not lose. I think he could definitely have that effect on him. Sure. And for, you know, I mentioned Zelensky this, at the start of this, the guy's busy. I'm not saying that he should do this. I think it might be wise. 30 minutes to be like, how do I talk to Germany yep. and their chancellor, prime minister, so that they care? And it's not criticism or horrible things are happening. It's obviously you've got to speak to their own self-interest and you've got to find a way that this is going to negatively impact them, preferably immediately, if not down the line. Um, yeah, I would do that if I were a professional athlete. I think if Steph Curry had a shooting slump, he should do that. Ben Simmons still shoots with the wrong hand. Yeah. So I think even if Tony gets him in there and he's like, oh, I'm going to do it, he still can't shoot a basketball at a high level for when defended by NBA defenders. And I think that's why it hasn't caught as much momentum is because it's not going to be the thing that makes you the best player in the league or wins you a championship, even though I do agree it will make it would make Ben Simmons play better, mm-hmm. which would help his team. But I think ultimately because it's not the number one, people are still looking for other things and focusing on other things. Yeah. Anyway, so that was not on my list. Did you want to, you mentioned this to me, the don't say gay bill, which also has a separate name, but it's mm. been effectively uh, branded the don't say gay bill by detractors from the bill in Florida. Yeah. The most fascinating thing to me about that is how differently different people would describe what's in the bill. Mm-hmm. Like you just grab two people you're like, what does this bill say? And one says oh, it's, it's a very gentle, no grooming bill. That's very much not punitive and it doesn't really change anything because it's only up to third grade and other people go it's incredibly homophobic it's insanely transphobic brother first it's raising a generation of bigots like the it's a seven page bill or 11 page bill i looked it up it's very complicated it's written in legalese the first group of people just to clarify are now calling it the anti-pedophile bill (laughs) like it's yeah exactly it's gone even more no and people don't know what's in it is the truth and and actually i mean this genuinely someone named it the anti-pedophile bill perhaps because they knew it was persuasive. But there's an entire population of people who genuinely think that all the bill does is prevent pedophilia somehow. And there's another group of people who think that the bill says you can't say the word gay. Mm-hmm. And no one knows what's in the bill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the thing I find most interesting. Least of all me. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I tried to go to the source. I actually tried it. It is legalese, difficult yeah. for me. I'm not a lawyer. It's written in legalese. It refers to other documents in the education legislation of florida so it'll make it'll be like per this thing that's not even in this 11 page document and and i was just like you know i don't live in florida i don't have kids it'd be interesting to know the truth of this bill but not so much that i'm going to study 
you know, tens and tens of pages from multiple bills from multiple links on the Florida government website, which is what I ended up trying to do. And I just went, oh, I guess I will be one of the people that doesn't know what's in this actually. Yeah. Well, the fundamental question that I think can still be addressed is we have compulsory education, right? You have to go to school or not your truant. You have to at least be homeschooled. Like this is, this is, um, there are penalties for not doing this. What should the state be teaching kids and how much influence should voters and parents have over that curriculum, I think is the fundamental question. Well, this is the problem with not knowing what's in the bill. So some people are going, this bill is for K through third grade. I don't want you teaching sex ed anyway. So if you're going to teach about homosexuality and transgenderism and all that, if you're going to teach that in your curriculum, just wait till they're 12 when they're in sixth grade. By the way, I don't even want you teaching regular sex ed when they're in third grade. Like that's, some people are saying that and other people are saying, this bill makes it so that if I am gay and a teacher, I can't, like my kids go, oh, how was your weekend? I can't go, oh, me and my husband yeah, yeah, yeah. went to a restaurant. That that violates the bill. And I don't, is what I'm saying is I don't know. I really tried to understand what was in the bill, but obviously those are two very different things. One says, hey, don't make a curriculum where it goes, we're going to teach addition in first grade and then we're going to teach how anal sex works for gay couples. And other people are going, no, that's not what it is at all. It's literally just if I am trans, now I can't say that I'm trans to my students. I can't say, oh, please call me they. Well, even regardless of which of those it is, I think if we start, like, let's call it the don't say evolution bill. And uh, in a community in Alabama, they hate evolution. Uh, and they have the majority, and they do not want to teach that, you know, humans descended from monkeys <laughs> or whatever it is. It seems to me that uh, the government is meant to serve the people, even if, and I'm not saying this is the case with this bill, they're wrong, bigoted, stupid. Well, there's a federal government, though, so that's not entirely true, right? And, as and, and protect the, the individual's rights, you know, as, as outlined in the Constitution, of course. No, but you, for instance, if you, so let's say this, you grow, you were born through no doing of your own into a small community that believes that the earth is flat. Mm -hmm. It believes that anyone that's not the same skin color as you is, has a horrible IQ and is instantly evil and incapable of doing moral acts and should be put to death instantly, mm -hmm. right? You didn't, but you're just a baby. <clears throat> and then you go to a public school. Are they supposed to teach you that all that stuff's true? I think the federal government does step in and go, hey, we are under the impression the earth is round and we, we teach that in all our schools and I don't care if your town doesn't think that's true. Mm -hmm. When you go to a publicly funded school, that's what they teach. Well, here's the problem is you, you have to go to school. It's compulsory. You know what I mean? So like, I guess technically there's an opportunity for um, private schools, but I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what strictures you have to go through that. It is... It just made me think about but you like, would draw the. I mean, surely, and we all would draw the line if there was a is a, there was a religiously radical town that wanted to teach the ethics of lynching to children. Mm -hmm. I think we would say that shouldn't be in a public school. It sh uh, well, here's the thing: which public? Like, should should the nation? And this isn't what happens in Florida. It clearly, like, I'm not voting on what some guy in Alabama mm -hmm. is learning in his school. Let's say that the entire state of Alabama, to a person believes, and this isn't the case, believes that. Go with New York, just so the people in Alabama. Go with New the York. Entire the entire state of New York, state of New York. that you should. It seems like we have a system set up appropriately so that 
the government is not making decisions because the government the government just is the people. It's supposed to be the will of the constituents, right? And even if they're dumb and wrong, which I'm sure we are in a hundred ways in what we teach our kids in school. So the counter argument to that would be that the kids are all already have to ex- get educated by their parents in terms of all their outdated beliefs uh, at home. So then to, they should go to school to have another opportunity to like, in the state of New York, though, who would be voting for that other thing? Well, this thing, I don't know. I don't know. Because we have a federal government, we have state governments, we have city governments. So I don't know who's picking the curriculum. But you could imagine an argument where you go, oh, just because you live in a small place that believes something that the rest of the country doesn't believe doesn't mean you're going to indoctrinate all your kids into that without having at least another perspective offered. I actually think the system does is set up. The problem with Florida is that it's divided, is my understanding. And this is so the hypothetical that I gave is obviously not the case. We don't have 100% agreement on, well, I guess we do, on math. <laughs> you know what I mean? That kids should learn this, that they should learn some of the presidents, that they should draw hand turkeys on Thanksgiving. We're close to 100 on that, and that's why there's not disputes. But it seems like, yeah, Florida probably breaks close enough to 50-50 in terms of what they want their kids to learn here. I guess I was just thinking is it's a miracle that – we had 300 million people, I don't know how many kids when we were growing up, who had a relatively consistent worldview taught to them and that there, I don't think, I'm sure there was some places where they wanted to do more Bible stuff, with the exception of evolution, that it was so widely agreed upon. Um, and it seems like I have a hard time with what I see on the internet believing that we're going to get back to a place where there's such wide agreement, um, even amongst communities where it's like, yes, this is what I want you to teach my kid to the degree where I feel. Well, but there, uh, there were probably was disagreement and just no internet. I'm, sure, just I'm sure there were schools. I know evolution was the big one. It was, it was I'm sure was homosexuality huge. was great, was uh, mm-hmm. treated differently in different public schools in terms of you get in trouble. If you bully someone versus people look the other way. Um, I'm sure one thing I feel confident about is that the problem of a divided country didn't magically like arise with the internet. I think it's just more obvious Mm -hmm. and maybe it's getting worse because it's a vicious cycle of then you tune into your own echo chamber, Facebook or news cycle. But wasn't there always a Fox news and a CNN and they were always partisan. Yeah. I think probably the same thing was happening with gay marriage, but there just wasn't a Twitter. Mm -hmm. Well, and then the question is, was that, being duped out in the schools. I guess what I where I stand by on um, yeah, this. You don't think there were certain schools where they said that being gay was a sin? I'm sure there were. Now, uh, public schools, yeah. Yeah, was there one or two? Probably. There were definitely public schools yeah. where, where teachers were espousing that being gay is a sin. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess whereas I thought about this, and I could be moved because I haven't thought about it deeply, is that schools should be democratic in their curriculum. Um, they should be locally democratic. Uh, they, we shouldn't have a group of people in government or teachers deciding what other people's kids are essentially indoctrinated with. You think, you, so you think if a city decided that their kids didn't need to learn math or English, that it would be okay to have all those kids grow up without any math or English education? To be clear, like let, just for the sake of argument, 100% of— No, 53%. Well, this city. is the problem with all democracy. Let's pretend that 53%, and by the way, we live in a world now where it goes the other way. 53% wants to teach that math is relative or, you know what I mean? That like structures of white supremacy haven't colonized math and 
they did. Well, this is what I'm saying. This isn't this isn't things. fake. So like some I communities think, think that math is uh, patriarchal. Yeah, yeah. Or so, and, and you can imagine a, it going a other way. Of white supremacy. Yeah. I think it's a disservice to those kids to let their parents remove math from the curriculum because then they're going to become adults that don't know math. Mm-hmm. It's going to hold them back in their ability to do anything in the world, really. Like even if they want to be politicians, which doesn't involve math, they just can't get into universities. They won't be able to affect change in the world or succeed in the world if they've literally never been taught math from K through 12. Yeah, and so this is... This and is I, don't, I don't think their parents should make that decision for them. Interesting. That is fundamentally anti-democratic. And fun, and it's like the... And I'm not saying that you're wrong, but that that vision is that... No, it's the, not. It's, it's, a, it's not anti-democratic. It's about... It's about having levels of democracy in the same way that I don't think a town should be able to legalize murder. Mm-hmm. Like the federal government does certain things to protect its citizens, even from themselves. You can imagine a town that was just pro cannibalism, pro death penalty for theft. They just said, this is what we like. We're a hundred people and this is what we want. We eat thieves. And the government goes, no, even if hundred percent of you think this, you don't get to catch someone stealing your car and cook them and eat them. Mm-hmm. Not in our federal jurisdiction. So I do think that democracy has layers. You don't just get to do whatever you want yes. if the people in your town agree. Well, so, so my understanding is that the government that we're zooming out now, which is kind of what I wanted to do with this conversation, the government's job as is to protect, is there's a certain amount of things, we're going to protect you guys from yourselves. If you guys vote to legalize murder, you can't. If yeah, you vote to legalize- and from each other. If you, if you vote to like uh, stamp this person's First Amendment rights out, you can. If you mm-hmm. vote to enslave this population based on their ethnicity or race, you can't. Mm-hmm. You can't do all of those things. Outside of, you know, you can't take people's guns away in America. Outside of that narrow range, we're not your daddy. Mm-hmm. You guys have to make these choices. And it seems to me that being able to fuck your kid's life up by not teaching them math- ought to be the decision of communities and parents. Oh, interesting. I would probably put that in a, in a similar camp to you can't eat people. What if, here's the thing, because we've, we've subbed in fuck your kid's life up by, with math. What if this community's right? What if learning math is patriarchal and is destructive and is the core of the issue in our society? Why should the government hold back progress well, we just take our, well, we just, the, the federal government just takes their best guess. So maybe they're right that society would be better if we ate thieves. Mm-hmm. I can't prove that. Never seen a society where as soon as someone commits a crime, we eat them. Maybe that deterrent would be so great that all crime would go down. It's like the purge. Just have an idyllic society. Our government goes, I don't, it's not what I think would happen. I'd not run the experiment. So yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe math is the downfall of our society, but I don't think you're right. In these examples, you're giving the government the thing that seems common sense to you. I'm trying to think, of, but imagine it reversed, where the people well, sorry, wanted to teach I'm their- starting with establishing a, I'm trying to go with a, we agree here, and then the question is, what does this bill do? Versus like, if we don't agree here, then we're basically saying any community can do anything they want in, ter- in regards to education, which I'm not, that's not ground I'm willing to cede. But if you agree with something obvious, like we should teach kids how to speak or spell, that doesn't mean automatically that you have to agree with any bill or disagree with the bill, but it says some things are off the table for the local education deciders to do. Mm-hmm. But if we can't agree there, then that well, then you, I guess I'm just not willing yet to accept the idea that, that as long as a local town agrees, they can make any curriculum they want for their kids. 
I what that does is it means that as long as any group of government bureaucrats agree, they can make any curriculum they want for your kids. It's one of those two groups is going to be deciding, and we don't know which one has access to the truth well, or is it, access to the best. So, and this is the question. Is, is it a set of bureaucrats? Is it the overall populace of the country? You know what I'm saying? Because they're not, they aren't really, I don't think, they wouldn't be able to do something that the vast majority of the population disagreed with. I don't think that they are military generals where they could say, we're, we're going to teach that all your kids have to eat feces for lunch and then people just have to take it. Like, I do think they reflect the populace to some degree. Well, if they reflect the populace to some degree, like, why not just reflect the populace? Well, your question is why, why do, I'm saying do a broader, it's kind of like sample so size. You, so I'm okay, saying like so you're saying, you're saying like, don't, I understand. You so want you, statistically significant sample size when you do a, a mm-hmm. study because you want it to be representative, right? And I'm saying for, to set the education system, I think you want to go broader than 50-person town. Sure. Is a state big enough? A state like New York or Florida? Well, I don't know. We can go there if you want. But I'm mm-hmm. just, I'm starting with, 50, do we agree 50-person towns too small? Because you started with any amount of people should be able to pick any curriculum they want. Well, let me, let me think. It's a good question. Let me think it through. Um, because that doesn't mean the state can't. The state could be big enough. It doesn't have to go federal. Yeah, yeah. But I'm just starting with like, I don't think you just draw a line wherever you want and pick the curriculum you want sure. as long as that small group agrees. I yeah. think you have to have some sort of statistically significant population size. And if, and you're always, and I, I know you are. Or maybe statistically significant is the wrong word, but like some minimum population. You're leaving space for uh, private schools and all these kinds of things where you could teach. Yeah, yeah, this yeah, is yeah. publicly funded. Got it. Yeah. No, no, you... I think you, you and your think, 50 neighbors could make a private school that taught whatever you wanted. And by the way, I think be, you actually yeah. can make a private school that doesn't teach math. I don't think there's a thing I plan that says on you it, can't. Dude. I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I could be wrong. Maybe there is some basic education requirements. But yeah, yeah. I don't think, I think private schools can do whatever they want. Didn't Elon Musk just say school's going to be building cars? Your kids ask the question mm-hmm. and then we'll do experiments. Yeah, yeah so this is Astra. very much for like publicly funded schools paid for by tax dollars yeah and i mean look this is i think what we're asking are fundamental questions that aren't easy about like hey what do you do with a democracy when 51 percent of people want this thing that 49 percent of people fucking don't <laughs> you know like how does how does that work out you just do this well, also we've talked about want? this sometimes the government does things that people don't want yeah like integrating schools and we look back and go that was great i think most people are glad that happened but at the time, I don't know that it would have passed a popular vote. Around the same time, they were drafting young men to go fight in Vietnam. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> they, they make good and, you know, yeah, his, yeah. history. Uh, oh, but I'm just saying the government, fra- the government isn't even beholden to having a 51% approval rate for a policy to do it. Mm-hmm. Like, you're saying, oh, 51 like it, 49 hate it. Sometimes 60% hate it. The government just goes, well, going to do it anyway. I think that was a case of what you were talking about, which is like uh, federal law superseding state law when it comes to the protection of individual rights. Uh, I, I believe that was how that one, how integration occurred in, in Little Rock, for instance. But yeah, I don't, I don't know the answer to these questions. It did get me thinking about, I was like, yo, let's say that I live in a bizarro world and uh, I'm coming in and teachers are like, I'm not saying this is what's happening in Florida. Let me think of a different example that is not sex related because I know people are going to. Um, teachers are teaching kids that the taste of human flesh is the finest delicacy. And if they're ever so, you know what I mean? Like, Even beyond that, that you can't live past 12 unless you've eaten yeah, a human. Whatever. You just um, die spontaneously at 12. And 
my community, by and large, doesn't want that, but the teachers do, and or, or my community does like that. And and how do I stand? Where I, where I personally go is holy shit! I need the private school. My yeah, kids, but most if I people ever don't have them. the money for it. I know, and I'm so fortunate to be able to have that. Thought. I think that's why this is such a heated debate, by no, the way. Because you've got compulsory education. Yeah. You have to go. We're going to indoctrinate your well, kids. Well, sorry, forget compulsory. I actually think parents want to drop their kids off at oh, school it's, for eight hours. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, not the, it's, it's that they need to work. And so they, they need a place for their kid to go somewhere. They can't afford a babysitter for eight hours even. Mm-hmm. School's actually cheaper per kid than any other form of child care, I think. Mm-hmm. And should so, you be able to, if you take your kid out of school withdraw a certain amount of tax dollars that would go towards that. But then that creates a whole issue of no, like, well, I don't have any kids. School. Yeah, exactly. I don't have any kids. Now every school is a private school, you know, yes. and it's, and if um, you don't have a car, you don't have to pay for roads. It's, it kind of, it undoes the whole point public of the funding, general yeah. public funding thing. And yeah, I have a car, but I don't drive it a lot. Like that stuff gets very messy. So I think everyone's got to pay for public schools or we radically change the government. Yeah. And then I come back to, um, Socrates' thing is like, man, if I'm going to, I might have been played, I don't know if Socrates is like, if you're sailing a ship, you don't take a poll of everybody on the ship and ask how we're going to do this. You have a captain who knows more than everybody and he decides. And that's how government ought to be run is that you have to have a bunch of smart people who know better than everybody else because the people are idiots. Well, that's the heated part. And democracy doesn't work. Yeah, no, but that's the heated part is people, especially with the Dunning-Kruger effect, people don't know how hard it is to run a government or how complicated yeah. it is. And they think, they think that they're smarter. We- it's constantly uh, impressive to me. People who have never run an organization think that they could magically run the United States government better than it's currently being run. Bro, having... And, they, and they've literally <laughs> never done anything except for at a school project where no one else on the team liked them. Yeah. It's just like, you don't know how hard it is to build rules and systems for 300 million people. It's not even close to how you imagine it. I struggle with... Our, I was just going to say, I struggle with our little organization. It's been humbling to realize my personal limitations in terms of leadership. I, well, is it leadership? There's there's a number of things that include leadership in terms of like managing and dealing with people and incentive structures and how bloat can occur even into small organizations. Also, and trying to manage something you don't fully understand. Yeah. I'm, I'm managing a tech project right now. It is infuriating, <laughs> I think, for both me and the tech guy as we try to communicate because I don't know how to code. Yeah. And so, and he speaks in tech and does not understand the business outcome that I'm completely focused yeah, on yeah. and don't care at all about that. And it, you go, this is just, I, I, we're still talking one-to-one. Now imagine you're supposed to run an organization. You don't have expertise in any of this stuff. Uh-huh. So you're relying on intel from the food expert, the military expert, the transport expert, the infrastructure expert. You don't know how to fucking build a bridge. How do you decide? Like, and several of them are corrupt and skimming yeah, money the, off. By the way, lobbyists <laughs> are, are constantly corrupting everything. No, it's uh, working with this tech guy. I go, yeah, managing something you can't do fully yourself or understand yourself is so hard. And I'm doing it on a one-to-one level. And mm-hmm. then I see people in the comments I don't understand why our government doesn't just become communists. Like, yeah. Yeah, I don't think you really understand how hard that would be to implement or continue running once it happened. Yeah. So with all of this, I, I will repeat, I actually don't have an answer to any of this, but it did make me think, what is the government's role in education slash indoctrinating children? I, I think they're very, very similar. And anybody who thinks that there's like an objective criteria that kids could be taught on, I don't think is thought about philosophy deeply enough. See how people are trying to remove math from the curriculum. Math is a spicy take these days. I would have thought math was the safest thing to mm-hmm. want to teach people. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, if I have kids, they will be homeschooled. I think that is 
100% going to happen. And I think it'd be fun and cool to like have if there were people with friends of mine that had kids in the same age bracket to, you know, get a teacher and then supplement that with each one of us coming in and I'll teach YouTube. Yeah, you got you to have kids at the same time, though. Dude, I'm teaching charisma to four-year-olds. Like, Look me right. in the eye. Stop sucking your thumb. It's not charismatic. Get that out of your mouth. Did you piss yourself again? That's not, not charismatic. Cool to Don't listen to Billy Madison. Yeah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, the only other thing that I'd said, which I don't have much, is Elon Musk is now a uh, board of, was on the board of directors of Twitter. Yeah, I saw that. I don't know why people think that's a big deal. Can you help me understand this? I saw everybody's in a hubbub about it. <laughs> it's Well, it's a headline. Uh, he bought, it was, it appears to at least, well, he hasn't sold yet, so who knows. Might be a good financial move, but it seems that he did it to uh, exert influence over Twitter. And that status quo, rich people running media companies and exerting influence is literally what is happening at Twitter three days ago. Yeah. <laughs> so I could be wrong and completely biased by the fact that I don't and have never used Twitter. Twitter seems like the least important form of media. That's an interesting question. I feel like more I, information gets passed through YouTube videos or Facebook videos. Twitter or is TikTok. breaking. Twitter's breaking. Twitter's like, this shit happened. There's been a handful of times with like the uh, the riots or something where I've, the only news is on Twitter. Mm. It's it's like, just saw this guy smash this store 30 seconds ago. Um, it's definitely breaking news. I think journalists by and large hang out there and have their worldviews really shaped and... Can I give you an alternate? Mm -hmm. It seemed to me like who cares relative to when Jeff Bezos bought the Washington Post. Interesting. And now, by the way, the Washington Post, I don't know, maybe it's just cherry picking, but you'll see all these things, articles and other things about how Amazon's evil and Bezos is evil. And then all the Washington Post <laughs> articles are really positive on Bezos and Amazon. Great but they're fully formed articles that I think inform people's opinions. And maybe I'm just living in a bubble. I don't, I think people go to Twitter to shout into a abyss. I don't know people who go to Twitter to learn how the world works in the same way that Facebook and YouTube seem to really inform people's opinions about things. I think certainly some of that is because you're not on the platform. Yeah. I'm not either. I believe that cancellations occur on Twitter. I think that's probably the primary vehicle for canceling a company or a person uh, is just the in, the flood of tweets hitting that social media guy at Coca-Cola who's just like, ah! <laughs> um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I, I tend to agree with you. I where think I feel if you wanted to spread disinformation, Facebook would be your best thing to control. I'm going to delete everything that says this about a certain thing. Like I'm going to delete everything that's pro-Ukraine and only let pro-Russia stuff on Facebook. Or I'm mm -hmm. going to do the opposite. I feel like that would have the biggest impact. I think that's probably more reflective of your personal... Well, I don't, I don't use I Facebook. Know, but you can remember using Facebook and you cannot remember using Twitter. So I don't know. I also saw Facebook was the one that everybody... Like, sorry, that's the one the government had real problem with in the election. So that's why I, I just assume it's the most influential because our government 
said it was the most influential. And I think, I think Twitter's smaller. I think Elon would have had a harder time buying 10% of Facebook. Still could have done it. That was the other thing. Just the, yo, the levels to this game where Elon steps in with like not a big deal, yeah. becomes a board of director on Twitter's in a, with a thought. There's, there's an interesting chart that I saw a long time ago. I can't remember, but it's got different company sizes. And it's like, you know, Nike, Coca-Cola. And they're just minuscule next to Apple yeah. or, or these other. And you don't... No, the best thing, and I, I think whether you're, you're okay with billionaires or you're against billionaires, it's very helpful just to understand the context. And I saw a very interesting little video that starts with, like, little squares represent 100 grand. And they go, this is a millionaire, and he has 10 of them. Yeah. This is 10 million, 100 million. This is a billion. This is Jeff Bezos compared to someone who has 100 million dollars. Yeah. And you go, the sheer volume of his set of cubes yeah. compared to LeBron James. You go, oh. This guy's not, because we, we don't, humans can't do large numbers. That's just straight up psychologically proven. People really don't understand mm-hmm. the differences. And you see it visually and you go, wow, these are not even close to similarly rich. The first billionaire athlete will pale in comparison to, you know, what Jeff Bezos has. I mean, it's crazy. that I, the, What I can imagine is a thousand is to a million as a million is to a billion. And that's just like, oh my gosh. Well, and then you go, I mean, he doesn't anymore, but 1.8, 100 billion. Yeah. And you just look at it and you go, that's the whole world's wealth basically yeah (laughs) anyways that happened what do you got i wanted to talk to you about your elden ring experience oh (laughs) i thought people would find this interesting uh because it seemed like you hated it it's the most popular (laughs) game in the world but you kept playing it and i just wanted to talk about the psychology what was your elden ring experience okay so the experience is and i experienced it again last night of because my YouTube, I watched a couple of videos. Every video I have is why Elden Ring is the greatest piece of video game and art that has ever been created in the history of mankind. Okay. There's nothing as good as Elden Ring. It is God came down, touched George R. R. Martin's forehead, and gave him Elden Ring, and then he made it. Got it. <laughs> so my experience playing it is that it's brutal, and I, I say this as someone who isn't a Dark Souls fan and doesn't like horror movies. I really dislike the feeling of jump scares and of impending doom. Mm -hmm. And Elden Ring is the bleakest, not the bleakest, it's the bleakest game I've played. It's constant impending doom. It's jump scares potentially around every corner on purpose. Like they know, they put the guy in the corner around the thing and there's these little, uh, thank God for them, there's these little notes that players leave for one another that you can read because it's like an online game, which is like, beware left. And that's the only thing that keeps me sane in these <laughs> games because otherwise every single corner I'd be terrified of. So my question is, what kept bringing you back to it? Because um, it sounded be- like it was an unpleasant... The belief that the enjoyment was around the next corner was what brought me back to it. And there was parts of it where I enjoyed where I over-leveled my character and then it felt to a level that I could handle. And if you, you know, clearly people out there are going that I just need to get good. But yeah, that brought me back was the belief that if I just was over leveled and I found a rune exploit, which I did, and I'm, that, that the game would become more enjoyable. And it did marginally. Um, and also that you, you see this world and as somebody who played Breath of the Wild and it loved it, loved the exploration, loved the feeling. And I like that about Elden Ring. In Breath of the Wild, the feeling was there's magic around every corner and Elden Ring, the feeling is there's doom around every <laughs> corner and uh i was like yeah this uh, i don't like that feeling eventually i after every time after i played i would say out loud to myself be like that was 
not fun. That yeah. was that was well. That's the thing I find most interesting because I think some people are going, "Well, I don't play Elden Ring, or even I don't play video games." But that I think that's a thing that people do and don't realize they're doing, and you just happen to have the self awareness of it. It's like I'm not enjoying this, but I'm gonna keep doing it because other people have given me the impression that eventually I'll enjoy this, mm-hmm. and I just I feel like that's a very common human experience, whether it's with work or dating or whatever. I might, it might play be. it again, dude. I keep watching people be like, this is the greatest thing that I've ever yeah, spent you my think time they're, doing. You somehow think they're right and your experience missing is something. wrong. Yeah. yeah, I'm missing something. If I played better or leveled up more, yeah, yeah. it would become enjoyable. I feel like this yeah. is how people stay in bad relationships. It's how people keep playing League of Legends, man. You know? <laughs> uh, it's, it's not the same. League of Legends is more addictive. I don't think it's other people telling me it's fun. I think it's the... The same rush that a gambler gets when yeah. they lose. I think it's high. I think I think it's highs are high, lows are low, yeah. and that actually brings you back more than just if you just won every time, because mm-hmm. then you'd get bored of it. I don't know, man. But yeah, so that's well, you my could experience. you could literally just play bots for league. I'm not good enough for Souls games, uh, and that's that's my. It's sad because I Breath of the Wild is my favorite game, maybe ever, and it is so clearly like that on steroids, just with all the joy sucked out of the world. <laughs> <laughs> and it's such a bummer. Um, the, but the sense of like, oh my God, it goes more. The world is bigger. Yeah, that's there's a lot of that. But yeah, so I, what I might do one day, if there was like a game shark like they had back in the day, is just get to level 500 to the point where nothing can hurt me and then enjoy the exploration. <laughs> enjoy running around and slicing. Right, just pay someone to level you up. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, the other day I sat there, took my guy from level 50 to level 100 with just shooting. There's, just just <laughs> cheating, just cheating. an exploit. Yeah, so. I got a random one for you. This is just a headline I thought was funny. Science, scientists to broadcast Earth's location to aliens, ignoring Stephen Hawking's warning to please don't do that. Yeah. Uh, Stephen Hawking, very smart guy. He has an interesting analogy that I liked, which was think about how humans have ever treated either other species that they view as less intelligent or other humans that are just less techno- less technologically advanced. That's how he assumes that aliens would treat us. And so he goes, when you give away your location and you just say, hey, here we are, you just are praying that for some reason they don't act exactly like we have throughout history, which is to brutally enslave us, eat us, kill us because we're not consequential to them. And he said all this, and then a bunch of scientists were like, oh, we're going to do it anyway. And so they just broadcast our location out on uh, some sort of like radio waves. Yeah. Did you did you ever read The Three-Body Problem? No. This is the inciting incident of the Yeah, yeah, trilogy. I've heard about it. Yeah. If you want to talk, yeah, go for it. The inciting incident of the trilogy is in, uh, I believe it's in communist China, and this is a woman who's got uh, issues on account of communist China. She's upset and all these different things, and she receives alien transmission, where are you? She kind of understands the implications of this, and because she's nihilistic, sort of, uh, broadcasts Earth location. And then the uh, subsequent books are an exploration of, um, they're coming, they're a couple light years away, It's gonna, or, you know, and, but that's going to take some time them to do when they get here we're doomed and also they've got this technology that has limited i don't want to spoil too much if you guys don't want to i'm I'm like spoiling i think into the first book their technology maybe even i think it's the first book their technology has limited our ability to do particle physics so we can we're not going to get better with like faster than light travel we're not going to get better with all these things we have a technological cap even though we have i think 400 years to prepare and uh, that's what it's about. And so they give, the interesting part of the book is I think they give four people um, 
the the other thing that they have is they have these uh, smaller than like photon sized spies on our planet. And so any communication they can see and then react to. So they give four humans carte blanche to order the world's governments around in any way they see fit in order to combat the aliens. <laughs> and so that's the interesting part is you follow one character who was, who was given this power and it's like, what is he going to do? He can't, he can't ever write anything on paper that is like obvious. He's got to keep it all in his head. Um, and, he, you know, for the first part of it, he's like, I fuck this. I don't want to do it. So he's just like, build me a chateau in France. <laughs> and like, do, do this. And they like, go, this must be part of a plan. Bro, they, they, they don't care if it's part of the plan. They have, they, whatever he does, that's the entire, that's the only way this works is if they do not question a thing that he says. And so that's, those are the books. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Sounds interesting. Yeah. Uh, the D&D &D guys are, not D&D, &D, Dave and Dan from Game of Thrones are making it. And they're very good at adapting oh, books. Oh, they're making a TV show. Very good at adapting yeah. books. Terrible at writing their own. So they'll probably do a good job. I found the, the Hawking <laughs> argument persuasive. Just like, yeah, it's, I don't know why. I, you just look at how we treat animals. I don't know why we think that they're going to come give us their technology and, you know, usher us into a new age of peace and prosperity. That's the thesis of the book. Yeah. So, yeah. So I found that persuasive. Yeah. Another future thing. Have you ever heard the futurist idea that the next major resource is going to be drinkable water that we fight over? I do you remember Quantum of Solace? James Bond? I don't I didn't see it. The next wars will be water wars. Yeah. yeah. So you've heard that idea. Yeah, yeah. Like oil That's twenty oil. years ago. Yeah. yeah. So apparently a guy named Cody Frazen has invented hydro panels. They just make water out of air. Hmm. So you can produce drinking water anywhere on the planet. So water will not be whatever the next wars are about. Suspicious of uh, the viability of those, but they have them. They, you can literally get them for your house right now. Interesting. It's just it's just slightly less convenient when you can, because you can just go to the store and buy water, but they make water that tests to be as good as bottled drinking water. Interesting. You just pull it out of air. They, I, I, I watched a guy goes, yeah, it's kind of noisy. I don't need to because we don't have water. It's just yeah, like yeah. it solves a problem that he doesn't have because he lives in a uh, city in the u.s but yeah but does it work in deserts probably not you know what i mean like well they have israel has technology that makes water in deserts desalination is what they have i thought i thought they'd take oh, i thought they pulled it from the air i could be i have no idea but my impression is that they have a boatload of salinated water yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, they definitely do and <laughs> well i thought i was hey listen for everybody who thinks the world is going to end in a thousand ways i thought it was nice one way that it might not end nice yeah. bit of news to know we won't all dehydrate to death cool and the last one we talked about before how tradition often serves a purpose. You know, you talked about how when they were hunting deer, they would break clay over mm. a fire to determine what direction to go. And it seems like a crazy thing to do because we don't believe that clay has wisdom in it, but actually it just keeps you random because humans are so bad at random. So anyway, there's another Native American practice. California banned Native American fire practices. Californian Native Americans used to do controlled brush fires. And we said, hey, stop that. And now we have giant mm -hmm. uncontrollable brush fires. And so we're bringing back Native Americans to consult on how to help us prevent wildfires. Wow. Which I think is interesting. So they were like, our bad. That's our bad. We were wrong. You so were right. Hopefully the Can oral tradition us? survived and they have some idea of how it was done. Yeah. Interesting. I just thought that was like, I thought that was cool and interesting. Instead of bringing, you know, instead of bringing in a guy with a PhD in biology or wildlife or whatever, they just go back to the Native Americans. They said, you guys had this figured out. We kind of fucked it up by stopping you. Mm -hmm. Can you help us <laughs> reinstitute what you were doing? Because our wildfires are horrible now. Yeah. 
that's the thing about the area that we live in is you you will burn down <laughs> if you live here for 20 years. It's just a guarantee yeah. that there will the fire will burn you or your neighbors down. I think that's 100%. Cool. Is that it? We got some questions? Yeah, I got one. All right. So have you have you considered the structural problematic aspects of charity, which also applies to charity water that you promote and donate to? <clears throat> should non or should, should NGOs take on the fundamental responsibility of governments? Does that enable governments to neglect people and reduce the citizens' drive to demand better services from the government? For example, Uganda was planning to spend 700k on the funeral of a politician, most of it inflated costs and excuses to steal, to steal money from the government. At the same time, Charity Water is there building wells for water. It's absurd, in my opinion. Wish you would also discuss different sides about charity and Charity Water. Yeah, so my impression, and I could be wrong, is that if Charity Water stopped digging wells whatever government official is stealing money by having a funeral for somebody and then skimming off the top is still going to do that. I think often what happens in these, well, often what happens period is people accumulate wealth at the top and don't really care about their citizens. This is what happens in Russia, right? All the oligarchs are there. And then in the meantime, the citizenry isn't their Their life isn't, <clears throat> made materially better suddenly because the people at the very top get wealthier. So I don't think you would see less corruption if you saw less charity. It's almost like the governments predate the charities. Like the governments don't solve or create a problem. Yeah, that's a great point. Charity Water started existing and 20 years ago. they come in because... So like the, this idealized version of a government that is supposed to help its people. Yes, great, wonderful. Uh, that's never been the whole story of government and so charities are created after as a reaction to the failings well yeah you i mean you you made the point beautifully i thought which is that there was a point where there were no charities and people weren't getting water from government funded wells they were just not getting water look there's a bunch of charities that cropped up after russia invaded ukraine in order to help the displaced ukrainians because the governments of russia and ukraine are and I'm, you know, you not necessarily blaming the Ukrainian government in this case, failing to protect Ukrainian citizens. Um, I think there's there's this strange uh, conception of governments as omnipotent. Mm -hmm. They're just people, and so are charities. They're just people. Um, yeah, but I, I don't think that governments get less corrupt when charities pull from their country. No, no, like that pressure would. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I also think even separately, <laughs> even if the government is great, let's say every government is very pure in terms of how they allocate their resources. Uh, money is not distributed around the world in a equal per capita way for each country. And so even if their government was doing well, you could just imagine that people in the US have more money per capita at the top, extremely much so. And the country, if its only resources are the taxes that its people pay, has more demand for things like water or stomach parasite medicine or malaria nets or whatever it might be than the tax resources of the country can bear. We just have more money in the U.S. And so the other thing you're is distributing from one country to another. I think the argument that you like seem to be setting up is more against foreign aid than it is against it is. private charity. Well, it's you against both. No, no, well, just to be clear, like I get why you wouldn't do foreign aid to Uganda if they're going to 
if it's a bunch of corrupt officials who are going to blow money and skim off the top and waste because in a hope that it filters down to the people. But giving money to Charity Water, if you trust them as a non-corrupt organization who will literally dig a well, seems the only sensible way to to help those people given that they're surrounded by corrupt bureaucrats. Yeah, I don't want to straw man the alternative, but I don't think... I don't think the people are better off if charity water stops, and I don't think that the local government would proportionately start taking care of them. Let's just do it. How many how many uh, North American NGOs are active in North Korea? Zero. Is the government reacting and responding in a way that indicates that that level of pressure? No, not at all. Like, the people of North Korea would be better off with North American NGOs for the malnutrition and all the crap that's going on there, but we just can't get access to it. Um, so I, I feel very strongly more so after this question <laughs> that <laughs> yeah. uh, charities are important to step in for the failings of governments that are independent of the existent the existence of charities. Yeah. Now, if you want to say not all charities are created equal, some 100% are maybe claiming to do things that they aren't and they're literally committing crimes and stealing the money instead of donating it. Sure, that probably happens. Some are just inept or pick bad causes or they are ineffective at helping the cause that they are raising for sure but that's just to me highlights the importance of picking the right charity what was there was a final question to this i just don't know if we answered it all wish you would talk about um the different sides about charity and charity water the different sides i think this person is under the impression that charity uh, has that there's an argument that charity is bad and that no one should do it Okay, I'll, I'll seal man the argument. Um, it's tough to do. The argument against charity is that the energy being poured into non-governmental organizations ought to be poured into the public option in order to improve them. So like rather than donate to an American NGO, demand more of your of the public institutions around you. Um, and I, I see that as more potentially being more uh, viable an argument in the United States of America, where yeah, you but might I, have a more responsive government. Oh, but I have two counter, I have two counterarguments to that, which is that you you've already said that the government is corrupt and not spending funds in the way that you like. I don't no, think. No, well, it's 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 to not give them money. It's to it's to lean on. Sure, them. but I'm just saying you you've already highlighted that they misappropriate funds, and not all countries have the same amount of wealth and their citizens don't have the same amount of wealth. They don't have the same tax revenue. They don't have the same. So I don't think that, I don't think that's the best way to operate. If you're living in the U S and you have shelter and food (laughs) is to go, Oh, those other people that are have it worse than me, they should lean on their governments to do better. (laughs) Well, what's, what's, I guess interesting is that like, it's just big government, small government. Like you can just call charity water government if it helps you. And their constituents are the people in Africa that, and their taxpayers are people in America and the board of directors are the board, you know, like are their senators are the board. Like there's, it's just big versus small. And I think the problem there's, there's benefits to large governments. They can have big armies. They can do big projects. The drawback clearly is that corruption is a guarantee. The bigger you get Uh, bureaucracy is a guarantee. The bigger you get, and so that's why we have these supplementary small organizations that uh, pick a problem and uh, laser with laser-like focus are able to be more effective than these giant behemoth iceberg organizations of governments. So I don't think it's one or the other. I think 
seems like they're both useful, at least in Yeah, I think today. your North Korea example is a good example, too. The populace cannot just magically transform the government by applying pressure to the government that we want you to stop doing this and treat us better. Mm-hmm. Cool. That's it. Let's do it. We're going to hop over to Patreon. What do we have today, Justin? Uh, so we're going to talk about cutting out bad habits, getting used to feeling alone, and then hanging on tightly to your identities and what to do when those identities are threatened. Very cool. All right, so if you guys want to join us on Patreon, we're going to be answering those questions and more. It's a yeah, lot more probably talk stuff. for another hour. Keeps the podcast going. We appreciate you guys. All goes to Justin. So if you want to support us, that is how you can do it, and it really does. I mean, it makes a difference because um, otherwise we're not profitable. We don't. You guys don't really often hear sponsors. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to check us out on Patreon or just support the podcast, any dollar amount matters. You can click the link in the YouTube description. Uh, I don't know what it is if you're an audio person, but if you search for Charlie and Ben podcast on Patreon, you'll find it. That's it for this week. We'll see the rest of you on Patreon. Peace. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.